Hello and welcome. I'm Stephanie McLaughlin, host of the 40 Drinks podcast. Today, I'm talking to Fiona Thorson, who has been on a path of recovery from chronic illness for almost a decade. I was really excited when she reached out to me because she suffers from Lyme disease like I do. I mean, I wasn't excited that she had Lyme disease. (laughs) Maybe that didn't come out right. I was excited to talk to someone else who had walked a path similar to mine and to hear about the things she's found that have worked for her. The cool thing is that her health journey led her to start a new business at age 40, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Before we jump in, I have a quick announcement. This is episode 20, and I'm going to give myself a little woo-woo for getting to episode 20, and I'm also going to give you a little woo-woo for being here with me. This is also the last episode of season one. I'm taking a short break to work on some behind-the-scenes things that will help make the 40 Drinks podcast even better. I'll be back with Bells On and fantastic new episodes on Tuesday, October 11th. All right, let's meet Fiona. Hi, Fiona. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. It's so nice to meet you. Will you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, Hmm, where do I start? (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm from Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been all over Canada. I traveled a little bit as well. As a young adult, I got into teaching English. So that's kind of been my day job for for quite a while, as well as a few other things. English as a second language. Mm-hmm. Then I'd say probably maybe about, about 2003 or four, I started to have some symptoms. Some things were not quite right. But, you know, I took some medication. I was going to university, tutoring English. After university, I traveled and taught English and then went back to Canada, taught English some more. And in between all the travels and the jobs, um, I, I was having a bit more of the health issues. When you were younger and still in school, you said you started having health problems. What did those look like? It's funny, actually, I didn't even realize that I was having symptoms. I went to my doctor. um, I don't know why I went, but um, she did a blood test, just kind of a routine blood test. And she had checked my thyroid levels. I'd never even heard of a thyroid before (laughs) because I was really not in tune with my body much at that time. She called me back and said, your thyroid TSH, your thyroid hormone levels are really high which means your thyroid levels are actually low, like it's low acting. So it's hypothyroid. So she said, you got to take this medication. I said, okay, how long do I have to take that for? She said, oh, people usually take it for life. And and dead stop. I was like, what? Okay, can you explain, (laughs) explain some more? There wasn't much explanation. So she just gave me the prescription. I went and filled it and I read through the the sheet of the drug and it explained some of the symptoms. And I went, holy cow, I have those. Like um, I was cold all the time. My fingernails were peeling. My hair looked really drab. I was tired. I had constipation. My periods were all messed up, even though I was on the pill. That usually regulates you. I was having memory problems. And uh, so I checked off a whole bunch of these symptoms and I went, okay, good thing I went for that blood test. And I took the medication, Synthroid, and I thought I was fine. And I pretty much was. I mean, it's it's not a bad drug. It kind of evens you out. But 
<clears throat> as I came to learn later, it doesn't address the whole thyroid panel. So anyway, I was kind of okay for a while. I started to have a panic attack here and there, which was not usual for me. And then I'd say about two years later, 2006. So it started in 2003 when I was uh, 24 in 2003. And 2006, I started having more issues. I had bacterial vaginosis. I had bladder infections and kind of seemed like it was like fluctuating between those two. At that time, I didn't know much about antibiotics either. And so I went to doctors. They said, oh, take these antibiotics. I said, okay, well, that, that'll fix me. And I did that off and on for about four months. <laughs> and I had abdominal pain. And they did the little push test on your belly to see if it was your appendix. I guess you push in and then when they pull their fingers out, if there's pain, that can indicate appendicitis. And I never had that. So they're like, oh, okay, just take these pills. After four months of that, I was actually overseas. I went to visit my mother and then go for a job over there. And I just felt something wrong. I was like, no, this doesn't feel right. And she said, why don't we take you to the hospital and get you checked out? And this was in, in the Middle East. I went into this hospital within four hours. I had all kinds of tests done, ultrasound, everything. And then saw a, a uh, surgeon and he said, we think it's your appendix, but we're not sure. So come back in two days and we'll do an exploratory surgery. So that's what they did. <laughs> and they took out my appendix and they said, yep, it's your appendix. I thought, wow, within two days, I got all that, all those tests done and surgery and everything. Then I was a bit more aware of my body and had to heal from that. 2007, I started to change my diet. I saw a naturopath for the first time because I was having major bladder issues. I was peeing mm. like six, seven times a night mm, at age 20. That's a lot. Changed my diet. It dropped down to two times a night, thankfully. <laughs> um, and so that kind of, that was really kind of the road to start my journey into the health stuff. A friend of mine suggested I try some yoga. 2008, I got into kundalini yoga, which I really liked. And um, so I kind of used that. That was my way of uh, keeping, you know, fit and it was sort of a spiritual practice, I guess, at the time for me. Between 07 and 2013, that's about five years. It was an up and down ride in and out of the doctor's offices because I still had stomach pain. I had headaches, migraines. They were getting worse. My energy level and my strength was actually getting lower. I was still very fit. I swam. I rode a bike. I walked and hiked. I did yoga, as I said, and I even took teacher training. So I, it was intense. I was doing some pretty intense stuff. And over the course of 2009 to 12, I lived in an area where it was kind of on a hill and I had a bike, so I didn't have to go far to go, you know, just around town to get what I needed on my bike, but it got harder and harder to ride my bike and to even walk up that hill. Eventually I just didn't want to do it anymore. It just hurt so much. So I sold my bike and started taking the bus, like the two minute ride up the hill because <laughs> I was, just couldn't do it. <clears throat> then, like I said, I went to my doctor and other doctors and, I was tested for diabetes twice, negative, diabetes insipidus, three times, all negative. 
tested for celiac disease. That was negative. Uh, I don't even know what else now. I did have a lot of reproductive issues. Later on in 2014, I had CT scans and it showed that I had an ovarian cyst and um, fibroids on the uterus. So my periods were excruciating actually for, for quite mm. some time. So all these things were happening, different symptoms all the time, didn't have any real answers for them. And I was actually starting to believe what some of the doctors were saying. You're just stressed out. Just, you know, relax, <laughs> go on vacation. You need to cool it, which may have been partially true. I think that stress does have a huge factor in, in that stuff. And so I was thinking, maybe I'm just making this up. Maybe it's all in my head. I got to meditate more or change my mindset, something like that. And I've played with lots of different modalities, you know, different spiritual modalities and, and meditation. And, and there was benefit in all of them. But I still hadn't gotten down to the root causes of what was going on. Right. So now it's coming up on 2014. You're 35. You've been, interestingly, both fit and taking great care of yourself and ill. Mm -hmm. low-grade ill for 10 years. And what'd you learn in 2014? Well, actually, I'll just step back a year. In 2013, I went to Korea to teach English there. While I was there, mm -hmm. I had it in my head still that there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just making it up. And I saw a clinic called the Oriental Medical Clinic of Korea, whatever the town was. And I thought, okay, I'll just give this a try. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'll try it. So I went in and um, I did a four-week program. I, first, I took the herbs, and they didn't do anything for me. So the doctor said, come back, and we'll do moxibustion. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a, don't. they take a herb, usually mugwort, mm -hmm. and it might be mixed with something mm -hmm. else. They put it in like a bowl with a screen on the bottom. They put gauze on your skin and put that bowl on top and they light the herb. And so the smoke actually seeps in through your skin and that's how you absorb the medicine. So they were doing that on my abdomen with a bit of acupuncture and holy cow, I had some die off reaction, but I also felt phenomenal after about a month. I couldn't believe it. I was clear headed. I had energy. I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm like, wow, I, I don't want to go to bed. I want to do something. So then I realized there is something going on. So the following year, 2014, when I went back to Canada, I thought I could use that information with the regular doctors and say, look, I, I know now there's something really going on and still got nowhere. Except then I went to see a naturopath again, a new one, <clears throat> two new ones. And one of them said, well, your symptoms sound a lot like my Lyme patients. Why don't you get tested? So I did the test for Lyme disease. In Canada, there's the, the public medical one, which is maybe in the States too. It's really not reliable. So I paid the, whatever it was, $400, I think, for the Igenix test. And that came back positive, like with flying colors. So that, for me, I went, okay, now I have something to work with. It's Lyme disease. So before we go any further, do you have any idea where you would have contracted Lyme disease or how long you've had it? Or is this, do you think, a contributor to those 10 years of sort of 
vague or bizarre medical issues? Oh, for sure. I think it contributed to all or many of them. The main way to contract Lyme um, is through ticks, as you probably know. Mm -hmm. Some doctors will say that it's sexually transmitted. Some say it's also transmitted through mosquitoes, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it could have been anything. I didn't have any indicator at any time. I didn't have that classic bullseye rash. I had ticks on me way back in the past when I was a kid, but I mean, they were just there for a minute and then pull them out. But no, I, I don't know if there was one of those that gave it to me. Yeah. yeah. I've mentioned before on the podcast that I also was diagnosed with Lyme disease in, I think it was 2019, mm -hmm. might've been a year before that, but I had had quite a bit of bizarre medical things, just not feeling good enough based on sort of who I was and how I was taking care of myself. So I had started working with a naturopath a couple of years earlier and they had diagnosed an autoimmune thyroid condition, mm. which I was not surprised by because both my mother and my youngest brother have thyroid conditions. So through the years, when I went to see my primary care, I said, how's my thyroid? And they said, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Well, of course, once you get to the naturopaths, the band of quote unquote normal is a whole lot smaller than what the Western medical doctors think. For 10 or 12 or however many years, my MD docs had been saying my thyroid was normal, whereas a naturopath would have said, that's not normal. So it had gone untreated for a very long time. So we started on treating the thyroid and treating some other stuff, just general nutritional supplementation. And I, I just never got any better. So my thing was I would always give a naturopath about a year yeah. when I found somebody I liked because a lot of the ways they work are slow. True. They're not a, a quick fix. So I'd give them about a year. And if their program wasn't working, then I'd say, all right, it's probably time to try someone else. And so it was in 2019, I went and saw a Lyme specialist. And as it turns out, she had looked at some blood tests that another naturopath had done for me the year before, and she had caught two of the co-infections on just a regular blood test, which this Lyme specialist said is like capturing a ghost on film. It's not usual, right? Like you said in Canada, the regular test, it's not really that reliable. You have to do the specialized testing. So she kind of shook her head and said like, you know, oh, she probably should have known better. And what did I know from some strange you know, echafinesis on a blood test. I didn't know what that meant at the time. So you got diagnosed with Lyme and tell me a little bit about how that started to go. Let's see. I wasn't tested for the co-infections at first. I, I did that a few years later, uh, but clinically one of my naturopaths said, it sounds like you have Bartonella, which was one of the co-infections, which and then later on a third test I did that, a few years after that did confirm that I had Bartonella. So mm -hmm. I guess before I had the diagnosis, I was already doing a few naturopathic IVs with one of the naturopaths. I was doing peroxide IVs. They said, well, it looks like some kind of bacterial thing. So want to try peroxide? Said, sure. <laughs> it kind of helped it a little bit, but not much. I got the diagnosis and then I moved to a new town and this other naturopath that I was seeing previous he put me on a really vigorous program. So I started doing 
um, what's called major autohemotherapy. So it's ozone put into the blood. They take the blood out of your arm into a bag, pump the ozone into the bag, and then put it back in your body. And uh, mm -hmm. did you do that too? I see you nod. <laughs> I did try ozone at one point. It was it was a different application. It was much less pleasant than what you're okay. talking about. <laughs> well, I did another kind of ozone, and that was for my gut, and that was the the rectal ozone. Yeah, it yeah. kind of sucks, Pretty gross. but it was kind of helpful. So I had the the ozone. Before we go any further, let's just tell people that when we say things like this. Really, I'm going to speak for myself and you can tell me if you feel similar. You know, when you've been ill for a while and you can't find a way out of that and there's no easy path and the things that you try keep not working. You do things. I did something you said a little while ago. You changed your diet. I changed my diet. I am on, have been on for many years, a ridiculous regimen of supplementation mm. on a daily basis. When you're doing all these things and not making the kind of progress you should be, or you feel like you're earning based on your effort, you will try anything. And so, you know, when somebody says to you, you know, let's try some ozone. Okay. How do we do that? Well, rectally. Right. And who's going to do that? And how does this happen? Yeah. But you try it because if it has a chance of working, then mm -hmm. frankly, you'll do it. Yeah. So I know that's why I tried it and it, it did not make a difference for me. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> we stopped that treatment. <laughs> well, it's good that you brought that up because, you know, when we talk about these kind of things, like with serious health issues, we kind of have to open it up and start really talking about our bodily functions and the stuff that comes out of places in the body that people are uncomfortable talking about. Like I talk about stuff that mm -hmm. comes out of my vagina to, to strangers sometimes <laughs> because I think they need to know. So there's a little warning for your listeners <laughs> right now, you know, <laughs> but it's something that happens with everybody, right? You know, you have to deal with those things. Yeah. And I agree. Um, you get to a point where you're almost desperate and you'll try it. I hadn't done an enema on myself before all of this. And then I looked at WikiHow and went and bought the stuff I needed and, and started doing it. And I did a colonics as well. That's another thing I started to do once I got diagnosed with Lyme. That was life-changing. <clears throat> I did those too. I did not find them no? life-changing. I did them regularly for, I don't know, six months or a year and... Again, it just was not making enough uh, mm -hmm. of a dent or a mm -hmm. boost. Um, and they were also far away. Took a significant drive oh. to get there. You know, at some point you've tried something, you've given it time to work and it hasn't worked and it's a cost and it's a drive and it's an investment mm -hmm. of both time and money. And you just say, all right, on to the next thing. And that's, yeah, I, I've done that too. 2014, again, I had a major crash, I had panic attacks like crazy i was on my way to work one morning and i was just i don't know what was wrong with me it was just crazy insane kind of panic and pain all at the same time and couldn't work for a while for quite a while and then i got my parents help to help me with this naturopathic this aggressive treatment and yeah eventually i did feel a lot better and it was costing money so in 2015, 
<clears throat> I went back to work. I went back overseas to do some work. And um, from then on, I never got as bad as I was in 2014. So those naturopathic treatments did help. But I still had the ups and downs for a while. Mm -hmm. Never thought that this was going to happen at that time of my life. Right. And yeah. So I had a few more ups and downs and I learned of a resource from someone in one of the Lyme support groups. He said, here's my list of favorite resources for, you know, herbs and medicines and stuff like that. And one of them was this guy named Tony Pantelaresco and his videos. <clears throat> so I started watching his videos. He teaches you how to make herbs and medicines and electro electronic gadgets to help with your health. I would say that was probably the door really opened, you know, when it came to looking at what information is out there, what I've been missing this whole time and getting closer to the root causes of what was wrong with me. I guess it was 2017 when I started using some of the, the devices that Tony teaches people on his videos how to use. So there's the, the anti-nano bucket and I started to feel better from that. Actually, as I was doing it, that's when I started having uh, stuff come out of my skin and out of my vagina. And I thought, I don't know what the heck this is, but I'm just going to keep on doing it because I don't know if it's going to work. Again, I was at that desperate point. Hi, I'm interrupting to ask a quick favor. Would you please look down at your phone and tap to give the podcast a rating? I would consider five stars a huge honor. As you know, this podcast is still in its formative episodes. So the more ratings we get, the more the platform algorithms will put this show in front of other listeners. Your rating will help the 40 Drinks podcast get exposed to people who may be struggling with turning 40. All right, back to Fiona, who's going to tell us more about what an anti-nano machine is and what it does. This is some out there stuff, so hold on to your hat. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the machine. You called it an anti-nano machine? Yeah. So, so Tony's research is all in nanobiotechnology. He had discovered that what he thought was Lyme disease or Morgellons that he was dealing with was actually most likely nanotechnology, little fibers. I don't know if you've heard of Morgellons, but people have like these little strings and fibers and stuff that come out of their skin. Well, that's what he was having and a number of people who he'd been helping. He discovered a way to, to knock it out. It's a little bit far out there for most people to understand because it is bizarre. It's really weird. <laughs> so this device is just a plain bucket, which you use as a foot bath. And it's made with sticking some magnets around the outside and then some copper wire, like speaker wire, all around it. So it's like this giant coil with some magnets inside. And you plug it in, and it gives you kind of like a pulse, similar to PEMF, P-E-M-F, pulsed electromagnetic frequency, or I think that's what it's, okay. it stands for. It's, kind of, it's not exactly, but it's quite close. That would be the closest commercial thing to it. And the idea is that if you have these nanoparticles inside your body, they're vibrating because they're programmed to do something. They're programmed in there. I'll just give you a little explanation on nanoparticles and how you get them. There's one nanoparticle substance called titanium dioxide, which is often used in pharmaceutical drugs 
as a delivery method. So the example I like to use is the migraine medication that I use <clears throat> when I have to use it just once in a while. It's called Rizotriptan. Tony has this show and he gave a challenge to everybody. He said, call up your pharmacy and ask them this question. Do any of the drugs I have on file at your pharmacy have a nano delivery system and see what they say. So I did that and they told me for two or three of them, they said, yes. And one of them, they said, we can't tell you. <laughs> I said, why not? They said, the pharmaceutical company won't release that information. So I said, okay, oh. that's interesting. Uh, titanium dioxide is in my thyroid medication. And what they do is they take this titanium dioxide it's programmed to go to a certain part of the body and deliver the medication. And they do this in cancer treatment and stuff as well. It's just a faster way of getting the drug to where it needs to go. But what isn't talked about much is where do those programmed nanoparticles go after the drug has been delivered? And what Tony and another guy have come across um, when discovering this is that actually it may actually be still in the body and forming these little threads and things. And so with this bucket, with the electromagnetic pulse, it actually kind of shuts those off, kind of like taking a magnet to your credit card and you wipe out the program. Now your credit card is just a piece of plastic. So when you use this bucket, you okay. pulse your body, any of those particles that could be in your body causing havoc are now, you know, basically inert then your job next is to just keep, you know, keep doing your detox processes and eat good food and all that other stuff that you're probably already doing if you're sick. I started doing that in 2017. I did it for three months straight, only one hour a week, because that's all I could handle. My brain was like, I, I don't think I can commit to any more than that. So I did that. And after three months, I got my period and I had no pain or very little pain. It started and I went, what? I, usually it's a day of pain, <laughs> excruciating pain before I even see the blood. And right. ever since then, I've right. had almost completely pain-free periods. And that wasn't even the symptom I was shooting for addressing. So I thought, wow, there really is something to this. So that was the one root cause I got to. The other two were electromagnetic frequencies. As I was learning about it, I realized I was probably sensitive to them, cell phone towers and such. And then the other was heavy metals. So I'll just brief jump ahead to 2018. I think it was 18, 19. I was still having some major headaches and I got tested again for Lyme and Bartonella and they were negative. Actually, the whole panel of Lyme was negative, but my heavy metals was sky high. So my doctor naturopath team, I was lucky to find two guys who were working in the same clinic, and uh, they got me on a chelation program to, to detox the heavy metals. Nowadays, I do my own self-chelation with some salts and stuff, and I keep using those devices that I've learned from Tony, and I just get stronger and stronger all the time. Wow. I can tell you on the heavy metals, uh, been there, done that. I had a heavy metal test once, this was probably 2018, and my doctor, it was a naturopath at that time, because again, looking for some causes of what could be behind how I was feeling, and so she did a heavy metals test, 
and sent it to one of these nationwide laboratories for processing. And within 24 hours, somebody from the lab called her to say, uh, your patient is like about to drop dead wow. of heavy metal poisoning. So you got to get on this. So she called me and she told me that. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. So we retested and it happened again. Somebody from the lab called her and said, you have a very sick patient on your hands. I couldn't believe that they were that, mm -hmm. that high. My mercury levels were off the charts. A normal person might've looked at the lead and been like, mm -hmm. wow, I've got lead poisoning. But for me, it was like a non-issue because the mercury was so ridiculous. So I did probably a year and a half mm -hmm. of chelation as well to try to get those levels down. And sadly, I no longer eat sushi, I no longer eat swordfish, I no longer eat tuna fish. So it's sad, but, it, you know, I can't imagine how else it happened. And I think what we've learned is my detox pathways are not that strong. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was probably just food. I love sushi. So we were eating sushi at least weekly. We were eating swordfish at least weekly. I make a tuna fish sandwich, you know, mm -hmm. occasionally to regularly. So there was a lot of mercury sources mm -hmm. that I was eating and then not detoxing well. So yeah, I've tried to pretty much take those all off of the, off the balance sheet so that mm. we're just not adding anymore. And you may have also gotten heavy metals like from your environment and not really known about it. Like I, as a kid, I lived in mm -hmm. oil and gas country in Alberta. And I have a bunch of family who are still in that area or have been in that area a long time. And they have a lot of health issues too. Just chatting with them, we kind of wonder like, maybe there was some kind of stuff in the environment. We just didn't even know about it. For sure. It could be in your water. It could mm -hmm. be in your soil. It could be in your air. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because you talk about these <laughs> things or I talk about these things and of the people in my life, Maybe 80% of them kind of roll their eyes when I'm talking about some of this stuff because they're just, I'll use the word normal, right? They're just normal and their bodies aren't reacting to the environment the way mine is. Plus in my part of the world, in New England, Lyme disease is a dime a dozen. Plenty of people have it or had it or you know worked through it or um, not everybody gets the chronic version like I have. And mm -hmm. so... So there's a lot of skepticism, not only from me of the, is it in my head, but also from other people of, is she making it up? Is she looking for um, attention? Attention, Yeah. There's a big portion of people who just don't get it. There's a smaller portion of people, let's call it, you know, 18 or 19% who at least are open to these silly ideas and to the fact that not everybody's bodies run the same way. And then there's one or 2% of people who I can really talk to because they get it and they get their own bodies. It may not even be Lyme, but, you know, have issues that they're dealing with or people who are super in tune with their bodies. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that some of your family could live in that area and be fine. Some of them could live in that area and have health conditions that they just attribute to age or any other number of toss-off excuses without realizing that if they dug deeper, they might get to something either a little stickier or more nefarious or more difficult to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I think that some of that uh, view or attitude to, oh, it's just aging, it's just don't listen to your body, basically, just brushing it off and 
some of that I believe maybe I'm jaded at this point now with the healthcare industry. I think it comes from the healthcare industry sometimes. I'm not talking about every not doctor or nurse because I've known many doctors and nurses who are great people, including my mother. But the system itself doesn't teach people how to care for their bodies or pay attention to their bodies. Here's an example. In 2013, before I really knew what was going on, I went back to the East Coast, Nova Scotia, stayed with my family for a bit. And I was really sick, not as sick as I was the following year. But um, by then I had gone to Korea and I came back and I tried again with the doctors and I was like pretty much done. And my father said, well, there's these really good doctors at this clinic down the road. Why don't you go see them? I said, I don't think I, don't think I want to do that. I, I think I'm done with that. He said, well, check it out. So I said, okay, I'll go. You think they're so good. <laughs> I went and I, I knew I only had a few minutes with this one doctor. So I tried to give, you know, as succinct a story as I could with the most important things that she might be able to go, oh, let's deal with this or that symptoms. And she kept brushing them off. I told her about the pain, my gut, my periods, my bladder. Oh, that, you know, that just happens sometimes. Oh, did you try this? Yeah, I tried that. Oh, did you, you know, there was always something. And then I said, what about these spots on my back? Another doctor told me they were aging spots. And I was like 34 at the time. She goes, oh yeah, that happens. So what about the pain I have? I have this pain in my legs and I exercise, I stretch. Oh, that happens when people get older. I said, what about my memory? I have memory problems. She goes, that happens when you get older. Yeah, 34 is not older. I said, I'm 34. Yeah. She goes, you look fine. You're fine. I was so shocked. Like I just walked out of there speechless and it didn't hit me until I got to the parking lot how angry it got me angry and um that was the last straw of my faith in the system <laughs> when it comes to chronic illness anyway i think that a lot of people listen to the doctors i mean that's what we were t taught the doctor knows best and blah 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 there's some kind of authority that we put into the medical system and doctors and nurses and they do have a lot of responsibility no doubt but I think that a lot of people have been trained to just ignore what's going on with themselves. So then you get, like you described, people just kind of thinking, oh, she's making it up or she's crazy or needs to see a psychiatrist. Yeah. And certainly with the Lyme disease, and this is one that you run into a lot, you look fine. Yes, exactly. You yeah. look perfectly healthy. You could be sitting at a barbecue with somebody and laughing and enjoying yourself, and they have no idea that in an hour you're going to crash completely and not be able to hold your head up because you look fine. Yeah. I don't know about you. I used to get so stressed out. My social life just went down the toilet. There was nothing left after a while. Yep. If there was a plan, like somebody said, oh, let's do this. I need a week to plan that so I can organize what I'm doing, my shopping, if I'm still working, and my naps. <laughs> I have to plan my naps. And then, like you said, you go out and you do something and it's a struggle just to stay upright and look at somebody in the eye and have that conversation before you go home and just go, oh, you know, load yep. up in painkillers. That's what life used to be like for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been always fortunate that pain was not one of my main 
complaints. For me, it's always been fatigue and brain fog and just sort of really, really limited energy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, not only planning a day trip up to see my in-laws up in Maine is, okay, how many meals do I have to pack? Where are we going to be? Am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to sit? I can't stand all day. Mm -hmm. It's silly. It's, well, it, it seems silly. It seems silly even in my own brain. So I know that healthy people look at me and they just don't get it. Mm -hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, coming up this weekend, I'm supposed to do an event with my younger brother, I, something I've wanted to do for decades with him. And we've got the opportunity to do it. And as it's coming up, I'm realizing, well, not only is it going to be 90 degrees, I'm going to be out in the sun. I'm supposed to be there by like seven or 8 a.m. And mornings are very difficult for me. Mm. And I'm supposed to stay till five. And I'm also supposed to volunteer for some of the management during the day. Now, all of a sudden, it's just a couple of days away. I'm not even sure I can make it. Mm -hmm. A couple of months ago, I went and had a visit with a girlfriend of mine who I hadn't seen in a long time. It was lovely to see her. We decided to drive to someplace that was between the two of us. It was maybe 35, 40 minutes for her and about 50 minutes for me. So I drove down. We got a pedicure. Mm -hmm. So we sat and talked for an hour and a half. We walked next door. We had lunch. We sat for another hour. There's a big mall nearby. We went over there and I made one lap around the mall. Before I even got back into my car, I was ready to just fall over and sleep for days, mm. but I had to drive almost an hour home. So the thought of putting all of that with a full day's worth of activities, I was like, oh no. Yeah. So it's stress inducing. And then there adds the stress and stress isn't good for it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a challenge, It is. but enough about this. Yeah. So in your story, we've gotten you till about your late thirties. Mm -hmm. I want to hear about turning 40. So turning 40, 2019, I got laid off from a job, uh, which meant that I qualified for a business program in the province that I was in. And I had these ideas about a business and I had already tried to do a blog. I'd done two blogs before, and I think I had started this third one, the one that I have now. And so I was listening to podcasts, researching the stuff on Lyme disease and Tony's stuff on nanotechnology. I started to write this blog and I got into the business program and the business program was to help me with the blog, launch the blog and monetize it as well as teach. My plan was to teach an online gentle Kundalini yoga class. Um, I mostly succeeded in getting that part done, but <laughs> I lost my oomph for Kundalini yoga and actually I was still a little bit weak and the, the technology drove me nuts actually that that really hammered it home for me to quit that project i'm glad i did because the blog was more my thing because i do write more so that business program when i turned 39 40 really helped me to kind of transition from doing the english teaching thing to the health and wellness thing i actually i did reflexology training as well so the health and wellness and the blogging has been like a side thing for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a turning point for me to take being an entrepreneur a bit more seriously. It kind of put me in a new level. I still wasn't really making any money on it, but I was really into it because I was discovering things and I was learning and I was getting better by using this anti-nano process. When I mean getting better, I don't mean just like 
feeling kind of better like I did with the naturopathic treatments but I was actually feeling like my body regenerating you remember the the um, like the good sore maybe at one time you used to go to the gym and you get that good mm-hmm. sore in the muscles yeah stop having yeah. that good soreness and it was just pain and after doing this device for like a year maybe less than that six months for sure it takes some time I had to move I was moving house and I was thinking oh my god I'm in so much pain after this and I was in some pain after it but I also had that good sore and I went wow okay now I'm really on to something because <laughs> my periods were getting better I was feeling stronger I could lift things again I wasn't in pain just from carrying groceries so yeah that was the transition from 39 to 40 yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it sounds like your 30s were a transition from the medical establishment, the medical industry to finding your own answers. I feel like the medical industry is great, first of all, in acute situations, yeah. right? If you break your arm or get in a car crash. Cut open for something. <laughs> right. But once it becomes more complex, I, I agree with you. I, I don't find the standard medical community to be thoughtful enough mm-hmm. or the way it's built, have the time to be investigative enough Yeah, to find the answers to complex issues. You really transitioned throughout your thirties from listening to doctors and using them, respecting their authority to finding the things that were working for you and really trusting yourself a lot more. Totally. Yeah. Like I very much believed in the system and listened to everything. I had some skepticism of some things, of course. I'm always curious, but the more I delved into technology and health, various different studies on the toxicity of nanoparticles, for example, and how the different healthcare applications, the studies that are there, they're not in mainstream. You have to really go looking for them. And I started looking outside the box. That made me really start to rely on myself rather than looking for help elsewhere. I still love going to massage or chiropractic. I still use those. Um, And osteopathy is really nice too. I do use those as kind of maintenance things, but I had to go to them to be pain-free. And that costs a lot of money, takes time. And I think mentally, you kind of, you kind of become dependent on it. And I read something, uh, Howard Zinn, one of his books, he mentions the illness mentality. And I can't remember the details, but it's something like you kind of mentally kind of step into this identity as a sick person. And I, I was like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to do that. I am, I am doing that. I was to some degree. And then it seemed like the topic of conversation when I was really sick was how's, how's your health? How are you doing? You're doing okay. How are you doing better? <laughs> After a while, I was tired of that. I don't want to talk about my health anymore. I'm getting better and I want yeah. to get better. So I just changed my approach to it. Thankfully, I was getting better, so I could change my approach. I know that if you're really, really sick and in pain, 
I'd like to say it's enough to just change your mindset. But I honestly, I think it takes a bit more than that. It takes more than that. And I, I think I, for me, I found the tools. I figured the three root causes that helped me to get out of Lyme disease and, and, or if it's even Lyme disease, I mean, like this nanoparticle thing seems to make more sense to me now. Um, chronic illness anyway. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. I can just sum up and say, uh, Lyme disease is the most expensive hobby that I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It totally is. I would love to be taking all of this money and, and buying lavish trips with my husband uh, instead of supplements and body work and naturopaths and other crazy treatments. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. And I've done a lot of the similar path you have, which is starting with the medical community and mm -hmm. you know knocking door to door on different folks to try to help figure out what was wrong with me, getting a lot of non-answers and non-help and then going down the naturopath route, which I've been on for many years mm -hmm. now. And certainly here in the States, naturopaths aren't covered by insurance. So that's all out of pocket. Yeah, and too. Oh, is it similar? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And, and then finding the right one who's got the right expertise and who's all of us who are sick with chronic Lyme or autoimmune disease, you know, even if we've got the same mix of things, it's going to hit us differently and our bodies are going to respond differently. So the naturopath my friend had great experience with may not help me at all because my version may be different yeah. or my path to health may be different. Mm -hmm. So it is a serious learning lesson. You learn to let go. You learn to not stress. You learn to not thrash against it and just do your best and find your best way through. Mm -hmm. I also learned to kind of almost face death. There was a time where I was like, okay, I'm going to have another nap today. And I, sometimes I thought I may not wake up this time. Mm. Somebody said to me, oh, that must have been scary. I said, actually, it wasn't. It was a very introspective time. There's nothing else you can do except be with yourself when that happens. And it made me realize, this sounds like, sounds like a silly statement, but how personal dying must be. It's you, you are going, mm. you're on your way out. Everybody else is staying, <laughs> you know. Interesting. Yeah. And then you let, start to yeah, let go. I, I, you start to let go of things and your mind changes. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You have to let go of things because you just can't. I've also found the whole pathway, you know, pretty lonely mm -hmm. because as you change your habits. So for instance, changing my eating habits pretty dramatically and not drinking almost at all takes away a lot of the social outlets that you normally do, right? When somebody says, hey, let's get together. It's either, you know, lunch, dinner, brunch, drinks, something like that. And, and so it, it becomes very isolating mm -hmm. and, and very lonely. And of course, there are always people who are you know, who are great and who understand and who stick around. And, but there are also lots of people who don't get it and sort of leave you behind because you're no fun mm -hmm. anymore. <laughs> and yeah, I just have to let that go too, right? <laughs> you do. Maybe someday I'll be fun again. <laughs> you seem like a pretty fun gal. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So 
now you're 43 and you've got this great blog. Tell me about what you're doing with your blog. Well, right now, um, let's see. I've got a few different sections. One is called Lyme, Nano, and Frequencies. So I talk a little bit about Lyme disease, obviously, the nanoparticle element that comes into it and heavy metals and uh, similarities mm -hmm. and electromagnetic frequencies. So those are the three root causes that I found. And so Great. I focus on those. I have a section on emotions and health. So there's a few entries that talk about kind of the mindset change and different things I've observed over the years. And then there's a couple little kind of miscellaneous articles here and mm -hmm. there. Um, I'm also going to be doing a webinar just to explain to people a little bit more about those three root causes. If they want to mm -hmm. sign up, there's a button there for webinar. Uh, and they'll learn about the coaching program that I'm offering as well. So it's kind of a double whammy. They can get some information on how they can address their health and learn about the coaching. Um, there's also a document that they can download as well for free that kind of just runs through some of the stuff we talked about you know, the journey I've been through and how I've gotten better mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of links that they can mm -hmm. follow to make their own devices, um, you know, kind of get on to the path that I got onto to get better. Great. Well, I'm going to have to check out this bucket and see myself if that, if that makes a difference for me, because it sounds like that's probably one of the less expensive ways to totally <laughs> to work on your health, work on removing again, taking one more stick off mm -hmm. the pile. It is. It's a lot cheaper. I mean, yeah. it, it can be a little daunting when you're making your own devices at first, because sometimes it's not easy to find all the stuff. But once you've got it, you've got the skill and you've got the device, you're done. You just, then you just keep on using it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Well, Fiona, I so appreciate you joining me today and sharing your story. Your health journey has been a long and winding road. I'm so glad to hear that you are feeling Thank better. You. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed meeting Fiona as much as I did. I feel grateful that my Lyme journey hasn't been quite as harrowing as hers, not that it's been a picnic. Can you think of anyone in your world who's got a great 40 story? Someone who experienced a midlife transition in their family, professional, or personal life? Or someone who celebrated turning 40 in an epic, ridiculous, or personal way? Go to 40drinks.com guest to recommend someone who should join me on the podcast. Remember, the 40 Drinks podcast will be back with new episodes on Tuesday, October 11th. I've got some pretty cool people lined up to talk about their growth and evolution around age 40. I do hope you'll join me. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications.